Jesus, we ask uh, in just humility and faith, Lord, that you would hear our prayer and you would come to us right now and, and you would, by your spirit, teach us. Uh, Lord, your word is spirit and, and your word is truth and your word is sharper than any two-edged sword and all those things, all those truths that we studied last week about how the Bible can penetrate deep inside us, it can change us and it can, uh, it, it can reveal and sift us. Lord, I pray that that would be just, an, uh, we would see it as a reality and a truth in our life right now. God, we pray that that every distraction would, would fall to the wayside. Lord, all of us have things going on in our life. We have challenges. We have tribulations and trials. We have tests and we have um, um, horrible things sometimes that are in our lives. And God, we don't, take, we don't ignore any of those, but Lord, we, we place them in your hands right now so that we can focus our mind upon you and focus our heart on loving you and on being loved by you. Because, uh, God, each of those things will be worked out in their own time. Each of those things will be solved. Each of those things will be taken care of. But none of it is as important as our relationship with you right now. So, God, we confess our sin to you. Lord, we are sinners. We are uh, weak sometimes, and we fail, and we stumble. We fall on our faces, and, and we need to be forgiven and picked back up by your spirit. And in our hearts sometimes we just, we don't even feel like we can go on. But God, you're, you're there. And Jesus, you always pick us up and you always show us grace. And you always are merciful to us till the day we die. And Lord, as we wait for you to come back soon, I just pray that you would minister to us today. You would truly change us and change the way we think about intercessory prayer that we learn about today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, today's Bible study is called Get in the Battle. And uh, there's a subtitle to it called How to Use Spiritual Strength and the Armor of God. As you guys know who have been here, we've been studying the armor of God and, and we've studied each and every piece very in depth. We've taken one week for every single piece of the armor of God. The belt, the shoes, the, the breastplate, the helmet, the sword, the shield. We've done each one of these in a week and it's been life-changing for me to see how, how well equipped we are as believers and everything that God has provided for his children. In the movie Tron, you guys remember that movie? When I was a kid, man, that was, it was so amazing with all the bright lights and everything, and I just thought it was really cool. But in that movie, the main character, he realizes that there is a powerful enemy in another world or another dimension, okay? He's a dark lord trying to control the lives of innocent people called users. This is kind of bringing back any memories. Well, he... Uh, so he figures out the hero, the, the main character, he figures out how to get into that world and, and to fight a battle with the, the red evil video game Satan guy in Tron, in the movie Tron. And he got into that world through an experimental laser that put him into the world of the video games, okay? So you, maybe that kind of refreshes you. Well, he got put into that game by a laser we get put into our battle through prayer. Through prayer. That's how we get into the battle. We enter into the spiritual world by praying in faith. Believing that God is there and he will respond to our prayers. And so we get to our text today, which is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. It immediately follows the armor of the Lord, and it's actually a continuation of the sentence that Paul has been speaking. So we are, we are not even sentence by sentence. We are going phrase by phrase, and, and today we're in chapter 6, verse 18, continuing with Paul's idea of this armor and this battle, and he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Be watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance might be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. 
And if you look back at the beginning of the section of a spiritual warfare that we've been looking at, uh, let's look at how Paul started this conversation in verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, there's these two armies in a spiritual wrestling or war. People are either serving God or they're serving Satan. There's only two nations in this war, in this spiritual war, and you're either on one side or the other. And Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. And he said, you can't serve two masters. So you can't ride the fence. You can't be on both sides. You're either being tapped or you're tapping out your enemy. The battle is for control of men's lives. Whether you'll be controlled by your flesh or your spirit. Whether you're glorifying God or you're not. And Satan, he's been recruiting for his army. And he's doing a pretty good job. He uses government legislation. He uses movies, television, entertainment, popular music, the education system, and the media. And every single one of these things that he is using, uh, he uses to influence people to follow not God, but something else. Even if they don't know it's Satan that's behind all that, he just wants them to follow something else. Because all those things are under this dark umbrella of Satan himself. And if you're not living for the kingdom of God, then we're living for the kingdom of darkness. But wait, I didn't know that. I just thought that was my favorite show on TV, or I thought I was really into this, or I thought that was the most important thing in the world. Well, yeah, it makes sense that you wouldn't know it because it's dark. You can't see. That's the point of it is to deceive and to, to trick you. But God, he has been recruiting for his army as well. And his army is called, <clears throat> excuse me, is called the church. And it's much, much smaller than Satan's army. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, because wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it because narrow is the gate, in verse 14, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So we're in a much smaller army, as a much smaller group of people. We're smaller, but we're better. So God's army needs to be better equipped. Better equipped. And that's what we've been studying with the whole armor. We've been learning how all God has supplied his ability and his power to make us these spiritual commandos, this small group of commandos. You know, it's like Kevin from Home Alone. He was real small, but he was, he was, you know, he had these two big adults coming in to attack him, but he was much smarter and they were kind of goofballs anyway. I don't know how good of an illustration that is, but I thought of it. So there was sm we were small in number, and stature, but we're potent and fearsome to the enemy. Why is that? It's be because it's a spiritual war, it must be fought with spiritual weapons. We just read that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle in the spirit. We do not fight with our arms or our legs or, or, or our brains. Even how smart we are, we can't figure out how to beat Satan. That's not how we wage war in the church by our efforts or our abilities. But it seems like when you go to conferences or you go to seminary, that's what they try to teach you. Is well, if we just have the right strategy, we could figure out how to save the whole city. We could figure out how we could convince people to change. And, and God, he's not about that. That's not what's described in the Bible. The Bible says, pray and spiritual freedom will come into people's lives. Teach the Bible and watch what happens. But that's too simple. It's too spiritual. And we can't understand that in our mind and in our heart. 
and we feel like we have to provide something, we have to do something, because I know I've been to Bible studies, I've been to churches, and I heard someone teach, and they were really good. They were an excellent orator. I don't even know how to say that word because I'm not one. But they were great at speaking, and they could produce an emotional response in me that made me feel like I want to respond to this guy. I want to follow God more. But you know what happened when I went home? That emotion died down. The desire to follow faded, and I was back in my sin. And it wasn't until God, by His Spirit, did a work in my heart that the change was real. It wasn't until through prayer and studying the Bible, God made me new, that I became a new person, that I finally had freedom and victory in my life. So we're wrestling. We're wrestling in the Spirit. And I see that the church, this small group, is slaying dragons on a daily basis. We are winning people to the Lord who many people thought could never come to know the Lord. This week in the news, there was a story about a a very popular actor who says he's given his life to Christ. Very popular. I mean, he's been in a lot of movies that rhyme with Transformers. And, you know, that's really exciting. And I don't know if it's true or not, but my point is that the, the church is able to break chains that no one in the world thought that they could change. There are people who were so far gone that the world counted them gone. They're one of ours. They, Satan's like, that guy will never get saved. And the church is able to break down the walls and to bring them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we see that mighty men of God rise up daily and break down these strongholds of Satan in their families, with their friends, with anyone that comes across their path, we, we see these mighty men of God. They're in the church. I think they're in our church, where we're just seeing constant victory because, well, the question is, how do they do this? How do we get in the battle? How do we be one of those mighty men of God who just walk around and say, you want to get saved? And someone's like, yeah, I want to get saved. How does, that power, how does that power come into someone's life? I'm going to read a quote from E.M. Bounds. It says, What the church needs today is not more machinery or better and new organizations or more novel methods, but men who by the Holy Ghost, who the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. So prayer is how we get in this battle. Prayer is how you dominate evil. Prayer is how you break the strongholds of the enemy every day. Prayer is how you get in the battle. Gimli is one of my favorite characters. He's a little dwarf in Lord of the Rings. You guys remember him? Big beard, axes, you know, love that guy. There was a scene where they were fighting this battle at Helm's Deep and, and, and they sneak around the outside and he, he wants to get in the battle so badly, but he has to ask his elf friend to toss him into the battle. And it's really humbling for him. But I find a, a neat parallel there is that he wanted to get in the battle, but he didn't have the ability. On his, he had to ask for help. Anyway, it's good illustration. I like that one. So let's look at our verses again. We're going to kind of break them down phrase by phrase. And we're going to see what Paul is teaching us about how, what happens when we get in the battle, how to get in the battle. And we'll see how it goes. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance might be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am am an ambassador in chains, and that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. See, you are armored. That's your defense. You are armed. That's your offense with the word of God. You are ordered, which means he tells you to get out there. And so we need to get out there and start dominating some evil. That's what we're learning today. That's what we're figuring out today. Some believers are well-armed. 
They're well-equipped. They've been taught the Bible. They're prepared. They're standing strong. They're not, their life is not dominated by sin. They're standing there in their armor. And they could easily defeat the evil in, in men's lives around them. They're gifted and they're called. Maybe they, they could easily just take someone under their wing and say, let me help you be freed from the evil that's dominating your life. But they're not engaged. They don't pray. They don't get in the battle. And Satan, he's not worried about them. He said, yeah, I know I can't really get them because they're so armored and they're, they're in the word and they're going to a good church and it's a Bible teaching verse, teaching verse by verse and they love it and they praise the Lord. But at least I can quarantine them. At least I can put them in a little room and let, get them focused on their own thing. Maybe they just love this or that and it's not necessarily sinful, but I just don't want them to start praying for their friends. I don't want them to start praying for their pastor. I don't want them to start praying. I don't want them in the battle. They're okay out there, but they're not, I don't want them engaged. David Guzak states, often we just don't pray because we're simply overconfident in our own abilities. I would add to that, and sometimes we just don't care enough about the people that God has placed in our life and the struggles that they are going through. Winston Churchill said to Britain in the early days of World War II, I must drop one word of caution, for next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of wartime crimes. And Paul says, if you're armored, if you got the armor of the Lord, he says, we need to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Literally, that means all kinds of prayer get you into the battle. All kinds. They get you swinging your invisible sword of the Spirit, and it gets Satan backing up in fear. You know, group prayer, where you come, maybe you come on 8 o'clock Sunday mornings, and, and you pray with me, or you pray with your family. Group prayer, individual prayer, silent prayer, shouting prayer, walking prayer, kneeling prayer, eloquent prayer, groaning prayer. Constant prayer, fervent prayer, maybe just crying out to the Lord prayer. Each one of them gets you into the battle. As long as, Paul says, it's in the Spirit. So each one of those kinds of prayer that I mentioned, if it's in the flesh, it doesn't get you in the battle. How do you tell the difference? Well, if you're praying in the flesh, it's fake. It's not really spiritual. It's not, you know, praying in the flesh is one of your efforts. You're trying to get things done. Rather than engaging with God, who is able to get things done, you are trying to persuade him to get things done. Do you see the difference? One of them is just praying. It's just acknowledging, it's communicating, it's making intercession, and the other is trying to get things done in your, in your flesh. It must be an act of faith, not trusting in our own abilities. Oh, I prayed for five hours for this one thing to happen, so surely God's going to hear me. That's not how it works. It's not trusting in our own abilities, but it's trusting in God's grace. It's trusting in God's unearned favor in your life. He mentions prayers and supplications, so I want to define those to you. Prayers mean any kind of communicating to God, and supplications are making requests, making specific requests, usually on behalf of others. See, we don't make requests in our flesh. We, we ask that God would work in his own way, by his own, his own power, for his own glory. The flesh thinks we need to try harder or pray harder. Do you guys remember back in the 90s that shirt that said, pray hard? And it was like a workout shirt. I remember because I was a Christian in the 90s and we had cheesy Christian t-shirts all over the place. Maybe you remember that, you know, salt and light, you know. I'm the Christian the devil warned you about. I had that shirt, I'm embarrassed to say. But I also had a pray hard shirt. And I question kind of the theology of that. 
And I'm not quite saying we shouldn't pray with urgency or with brokenness or with agony. But when I hear the word hard, I think of effort. Because when I lift weights, which is never, I work out hard. And it's about me and it's about what I can do and my, that's how it goes. But Elijah, he wasn't like that at all. And I, maybe you guys remember the main story of Elijah. And if you go to Israel, the first place you go on the first day is Mount Carmel, up in the north, uh, that way side of Israel, uh, west. And it's like the Seattle of Israel. So it's up there, and you go on top of this mountain, and you, you see the place where Elijah had the battle with the prophets of Baal. And remember that. And you can go back and look it up, but I'm going to just kind of briefly tell you the story. The prophets of Baal were saying, Baal is God. And Elijah's like, no, he's not. God's God. Jehovah is God. And so Elijah said, let's have a little contest and see whose God is really God. And you guys go first, and we'll put some, some you know, a sacrifice on an altar. And whoever's God calls fire down and consumes the sacrifice is God. And the other side, let's just kill. And they said, oh, right, we'll do that. And there was like, I don't know, a ton of these prophets, so dozens and dozens and dozens of these prophets of Baal. And, and they, they start dancing around, and they start chanting, and they start pleading with their god Baal, who obviously is not real. And the demons are laughing at them, thinking, look at them. We want their destruction. We're not going to answer them. And so... The, you know, they're, they're dancing and they're pleading and they're cutting themselves and it's the definition of the works of the flesh, of my efforts and how tr- hard I try. And they're pleading, 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 pleading. And nothing happens. And then Elijah gets in on the act and he starts mocking them and he's saying, maybe your God is hard of hearing. Maybe he's deaf. Maybe he's in the bathroom. He literally says that. And he's busy. And he just can't come to the phone right now. And, and they're like, they get so angry and so mad. And then it comes to Elijah's turn. And Elijah's like, you know what? Why don't you dump a bunch of water on the sacrifice? Because I don't want you guys to get the wrong impression. That somehow I'm going to trick you. This, this is some trick or this is fake. I want you guys to see the power of the real God. The real, true, one and only God. And so he prays a simple prayer. He just bows on his knees and he says, God, hear me. In the presence of everyone, I believe in you. Would you accept this sacrifice? And guess what happened? You guys know the end of the story. Fire comes from heaven, devours everything, even licks up the water around it. And then they take the prophets of Baal down and kill them all. That's the story. Well, James, he, he brings the story back up for us in his letter, in the, in the book of James, in chapter 5. And he says, Elijah was a man with a like nature, or with a nature like ours. He was just a man, he says. It wasn't some, he wasn't some awesome guy. He wasn't some miracle worker. And he said, and he prayed earnestly, that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. So this is another story in in, uh, Elijah's life, and it's pretty simple. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years and six months. And James is teaching us that Elijah knew how to battle in the Spirit and not by his own efforts. How could anyone ever stop the rain for three and a half years? And the answer is you can't. No one can. I don't care how good of a Christian you are. I don't care how hard you pray. Only God can do that, right? So it can't be based on our efforts, these prayers. Us getting in the battle is not about us trying hard to get in the battle. It's about coming to God and trusting his power and his strength through grace. And then Paul says, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints... He says, being watchful to this end with all perseverance, that means never stop praying. It always works. It does get you in the battle. We never move on from our need to pray. 
We never mature past the need to pray. As long as we're alive, we should be praying. This was illustrated by Jesus for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane. Because you might be thinking to you right now, okay, I get that, that I'm supposed to, but that's sounding like a rule. It's sounding like you're putting me back under the law, this law of you're supposed to pray all the time. Is that what you're telling me? And the answer is no, that's not what I'm telling you. What I want us to get to is the place where prayer is where our heart is. We don't follow the law because it's a rule. We pray always because our heart is in it. Our heart is there. It's about our heart. And Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was nothing better, but this, this is the greatest illustration of this that I've seen. He asked his disciples to watch and pray. He knows what's coming the next night. He's even told his disciples they aren't listening, but he says he's going to be crucified the next day. He knows he's going to be crucified. He's going to bear the weight of all the Father's wrath of every sin that's ever been committed. Is going to be on Jesus the next day. And Jesus is like, I need, I need help. And he asks his, his three disciples that are the closest to him to come and pray with him. To watch with him and pray. They begin to pray, but then they fall asleep. They fall asleep. They didn't stay up with him. So they were not able to be a help to him, were they? And it's because their heart was not yet there. I think they loved Jesus, but their heart wasn't there yet to the place where they believed that God would hear them and that their prayers mattered. I think they were still in the law. I think they were still like, well, I'll, st I'll try my best, Jesus, to help you. And I think that's why Jesus wasn't angry with them when they woke up. Because he didn't want them to be in the law. He didn't want them to, be, to feel like they had let him down. He was after something far more important, which was their hearts. He wanted them to want to be with him. To want to come alongside someone who was going through something very, very difficult. And they were sleeping. They were too tired. Their flesh gave out. Maybe the reason why we are not praying as we should is because we're praying in our flesh. It seems like if we pray in our spirit, it's invigorating. It's, it's our heart. It, it's empowering. And when we pray in our flesh, it wipes us out. Are you sleeping when you should be praying? Is there someone going through something that's just the darkest time in their life and they could use someone to just watch with them and pray with them? Or are we more concerned with taking good care of our flesh and missing out on what God had planned for us or maybe God could have used us in their life? The next phrase Paul puts in here, he says, pray continually for all the saints. For all the saints. Our spiritual battle is not just for ourselves, it's for others. We're in, we enter into battle for other believers in our life. And when you have a friend or relative who's in chains and he's bound by lies of the enemy, maybe he's believing that, the, that, that God is his enemy or that God doesn't really care about him or that God doesn't really want him to have joy or, or God is keeping him from something amazing, maybe they just need someone to pray with them. You could recognize those as chains on their heart. And we can charge in by prayer and release those chains spiritually. So that when we're allowed to speak the truth and have an actual conversation with them, there will be a heart on their end that's ready to listen because it's been freed. And there's a heart on our end that actually cares about them. Because you've been praying for them. And you have compassion now and you're, you're patient with them and and you're longing to see God's work in their life. It was an angel that fetched Peter from jail, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. Prayer for every saint. Pray for every saint. They get the first fruits of our prayer. 
The people who we should pray for are those who all, the first people we should pray for are those who already know Jesus. Why? Shouldn't we pray about those people who are dying and going to hell? Yes, but not first, he says. First, pray for those who are believers because they're the ones that are under attack most fiercely. They're the ones who are targeted. They are spiritually outnumbered. The world, the flesh, and the devil are all opposing them. And they need you. They need your prayers. They need your heart with them. They need their enemy to back up in fear. See, the ones who are not believers, they're already on the enemy's side right now. And so the enemy isn't really concerned. They're just kind of keeping them there. But the believers, the ones we know that believe in Jesus, they're against that enemy. And he's strong and he's coming against them. But we want that enemy to back up a fear. I know you guys all remember the Lion King, right? And you remember Simba. And he's protecting his little girlfriend, Nala. Remember this? And the hyenas are coming against. And he comes in and he does this giant, this little tiny baby kitty roar. It's kind of like that. I don't know what that is, but it sounds like a horn. Anyway, he does this little tiny roar. And the hyenas, they laugh at him and they mock him. And they're like, ah, you know, Whippy Goldberg is one of the hyenas and she has this crazy laugh and she's laughing, right? Then he, he backs up a little more and he lets out a different roar. But this time you can't even hear his roar because behind him is the voice of his father, Mufasa, right? And we know that if you even say the word Mufasa, it's great. It's like powerful name, Mufasa. And it was terrifying for the enemy. And Mufasa jumps in and he kicks the hyenas out of there and he rescues his son, right? Well, I want you guys to remember that scene when you think about your fellow believers and when they are going through difficult times. When, when we think about our need to pray for them, they need it so desperately. They might be brave. They may even be somewhat strong on their own, but they need your prayers to have complete victory over the enemy, to have the enemy leave them in fear, trembling because they're afraid of our Father coming into the battle. And then you can partake in their complete victory. You can be a huge part of the war. You guys know that fighters who fight in a war, they always get a medal, even if they were just a small part of a battle. They get a medal. And so we get to verse 19. He says, as for me, and for me, he says, pray for me, Paul. He's making it personal. That utterance might be given to me, that I may be open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul says, while you are going to battle in prayer, let me in on that action too. Paul is in jail. Let me remind you, he's in jail and he's about to go before Caesar for all of his quote-unquote crimes. That's the reality of his life in the flesh. But the real reality, the spiritual reality, is that he's about to go into battle with the forces of evil. And Satan, who is using Caesar at this time, to come against the work of God. And he knows that Satan will be doing everything he can to intimidate and discourage him so that he doesn't share the gospel with people. See, Satan wins in our life by shutting us up. He's like the bully at school who can't really do anything. He just yells, shut up, shut up, over and over again. And it gets intimidating. It gets old. And we don't like to deal with that. So Paul, he asks for a spiritual assault on Satan so that he can speak boldly the words that God wants him to speak. Satan doesn't want those words coming out of his mouth because he can't control what God's words do. He can't control the word of God. And we, looked, we looked at that a lot last week, what, how God's word is so powerful. So he can't come against the word of God it, you know, the word of God being spoken, and if Paul were to speak it, it's like a nuclear bomb on the Nagasaki of rebellious hearts. It just blows them up. And, and Paul says, I want you to pray that I'll be given utterance and boldness. And so what's utterance mean? It's not a word we use commonly today, uh, but it means just to know what to say. 
just to have the right words, clear speaking. You know, I, it's, I prayed for this every time last year when I was on the radio every Thursday uh, doing the, the answer program on Grace FM. And I would pray for this and I asked, I would ask God to just give me the words to say. And it's funny because people think like, you're on the radio answering Bible questions. You must have everything figured out. <laughs> and that is absolutely not the case. I went in many times after just having come out with counseling appointment after counseling appointment after counseling appointment and just being wiped out. And I would come in and I would, I would kneel there in the, in the studio and say, God, I got nothing left. So would you just give me the words to say, God? Because sometimes people would call in with the craziest things. And they're talking, and I'm literally like, I have no idea what to say to you. You are weird. Or you are messed up. Or I'm sorry, but go to church and read the Bible. What do I say? And, and I would pray even in those times. And it would get to the point where right before I was about to speak, I wouldn't even know what I was supposed to say. And then I would just start speaking. And I just, God, just take this. And it would come out and just, it was awesome. It was awesome. I had peace, I had clarity, I would, have, I would get on a train of thought and God would just lead that and guide it and use it every single time. I remember that and it brings me to tears because honestly, it had nothing to do with me. And people would be, oh, good job on the radio and I'm like, you have no idea. You have no idea because I think my son could have done better who's 11 years old sometimes. I would pray, I do pray for this every Sunday. You know, every counseling session I have, every meeting, every wedding or whatever, you know, God is my only hope as a pastor. And you guys can be praying for me in this as well, to get, that I would have utterance. I do have a voice to speak sometimes that's, you know, to, to people, and I would like to just say that I would hope it's only God speaking through me. And then he says, pray for boldness. Pray that I, not only that I would clearly speak what I ought to speak, but it, but it would be super clear, I would be bold, that I would not be making vague allusions to the truth, but just give them the actual truth. Oh, but that's mean, that's harsh. Shouldn't we be gentle at the beginning? Don't you need to soften the truth if you're going to share it? Isn't that what love is? Well, Jesus did say to speak the truth in love, and this is really important. He did say to speak the truth in love, but love is not something we can fake. It's not something we can manufacture. It only grows out of a living relationship with Jesus Christ. So anything a believer and someone who's abiding in Jesus does should be in love. So Paul's saying, pray for me for boldness. See, you can be confrontational and still be loving. You can be bold and direct and still be loving. You can have people hate you and call you names and despise you and say that you're a Bible-thumping fool and you can still be loving. And in fact, if you're a believer and you're following Jesus Christ, you will still be loving because you will really love them and it will be coming out of you. Love does not just point out someone's sin and then yell at them to change. That's not what Paul's praying for. He's not just saying, pray that I'll be bold to call Caesar an idiot. That's not what he's praying for. He's praying for boldness to speak the truth in love. So he'll say, Caesar, you're going to hell. But there's a solution for that. Let me tell you about God's resources, God's plan of salvation. Let me tell you about that. And you can accept it or reject it. I don't, I, I care, but you can, that's up to you. But I'm going to tell you about it. Love doesn't just point out someone's sin and then yell at them to change. That is cruelty. Like telling a baby to get up and clean their room. No, none of us would do that. No, love makes someone aware of their sin, yet it takes the time to provide the resources or the fix for their problem. It, it lets them know about the access to power and, and the spirit that can grow them and change them. Boldness is to confront, yet the utterance to speak, to speak grace into their lives, God's resources to live a godly life. Utterance to share the mystery of the gospel, Paul says. The mystery of the gospel is all I want to share, which is, which is that Jesus will cure your sin 
and fix your heart if you abide in him. That grace provided all you need to please God. And, to, and through a humble and faithful relationship with Jesus, he gives it all to you for free. That's the gospel. That's the mystery of the gospel. So Paul asks them in, in Ephesus to pray for him to be enabled. He knows that right now he is not able. Paul, the apostle, the great Paul, who writes like three-fourths of the New Testament, he says, I am not able to have one conversation, one, without a spiritual sufficiency. I am not qualified to speak the truth of God in love unless I have a spirit in me that is filling up, that, that is overflowing with him. I am not qualified, and I am dependent on that spirit. I'm not dependent on who I am. I don't rest on my laurels. I am only a victor in Jesus Christ. A strength that is sourced in the spirit and not in himself. So how does that happen? How do we get the spirit of God? We talk about this many times. You simply ask for it. Then, when we stand before Caesar the Caesar of our lives, you will just have, you will have the boldness and strength to, to speak the words that you need to say. Not because you did anything or earned it, but simply because the Spirit is in you and He's providing all that you need by His mighty power. You have accessed a reservoir of strength that will never run dry. How? By prayer. So he says in verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This gospel of grace is, my, is what my whole life is about, Paul says. I'm an ambassador in chains, and, and I need to speak boldly about it, and that's what I should do. It's the only reason I'm still here. I've been persecuted. I've been left from dead. I, I've been brought back from death probably a couple times. If you know Paul's history, you know that he has been beat up. He's been brought back from the dead. God keeps sending me back. The only reason I'm not here is because of this grace. I am an ambassador. I'm just an ambassador of grace. I don't consider myself the Pope or the King of Christians or, or a wonderful televangelist. I'm just a guy who's lucky enough to represent a great king. I'm an ambassador. And it's your contest is with him and not with me. If you kill me, I go straight back to him. He takes care of me. But he says I'm an ambassador in chains. And this, of course, is speaking of his prison shackles and the ankle around his ankles and his wrists. But the same word can also be used to describe the glamorous chains that rich and important people would wear. Gold chains. You think of Mr. T. <laughs> And it's really interesting that sometimes at special events, ambassadors from other countries would put on their most glamorous and golden chains around their necks. And why did they do that? To represent the riches and the glory of the kingdom that they were from, that they represented. And so I believe Paul is not ashamed of his chains but rather considers them to be the glory of God. In Romans 5.3, he says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. He says, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. In it. In what? In the mystery of the gospel. The grace that God has, gives freely to all who ask. He doesn't even want to talk about grace if he's not living by the power of grace himself. That blows my mind. He doesn't want to speak the truth if it's from a place of dishonesty. If he's not really living himself by that truth. He wants to be an illustration of grace before he's a megaphone for it. And Jesus, he performed a miracle in Matthew chapter 21 on a fig tree. We'll call this, this, fig, this fig tree the, the fig tree of false advertising. 
And I want you guys to go and read that miracle. But basically, Jesus comes up. He's hungry one morning, walking into Jerusalem from Bethany, and he sees a fig tree. He sees the leaves, and he's like, all right, some breakfast. I'm getting me some figs. And he goes up there, and he expects the tree, and there's no figs there. And Jesus gets mad. He's like, you know what? Boom, miracle, cursed you tree. It withered, and you never produce fruit again. And this is the only destructive miracle in the entire Bible. And it's like, why did that happen? And the answer is because the fig tree was false advertising. Paul doesn't want to be that tree. He, he wants to be real and relevant, truly spiritual, not fake. Jesus went to that tree expecting there to be fruit. I mean, after all, they were showing up at church. They said they had a relationship with God. And so Jesus comes up and he's like, hey, let's see, are, are these guys really loving? Are you really loving? Is there really love, joy, peace, patience, kindness deep in your heart that I can feed on and enjoy? And the answer was no. And so Jesus is like, you're fake. Get out of here. Paul doesn't want to be that. And he says the victory, the real growth that Jesus is looking for, it's spiritual. And I need your help to have victory and to have that fruit in my life. I need your prayers. I need you to intercede for me. It would be better to, better to not say anything at all than to speak out of my own resources and the efforts of my flesh. Just trying to be godly, to please God. It doesn't work. And Caesar will laugh at me, and Caesar will put me to death, and it will not matter to anyone because there'll be a look in my life and say, you're fake. You're a hypocrite. But grace does work. Be discipled by grace. Pray for grace to overflow in the lives of believers in this church, please. How do I pray that? Well, just read the Bible, read the Word of God, and pray it. If the Bible says, I don't know, just pick something, walk as children of the light, then pray that. Pray that God would do the spiritual work of helping someone to walk as a child of the light. We can't try to do anything in the Bible. It is not a list of rules, like the whole world seems to think it is, like most of the church seems to think it is. It is not that. It is an open door to have a relationship with God to work in our lives if we pray about it. If we pray about it. Pray without ceasing, Paul says. Pray all the time. Run to prayer every moment of the day. Okay? But again, this is not a rule for us to do. He wants it to be our heart. Okay, I, my heart is dependent on my Father to provide these things for me because I can't do them myself. Elijah showed me I can't do it myself. I have to do it through him, through trusting his grace. We're going to close with a quote from Thomas Watson. And just let this sink in because it, it'll rock your world, okay? Christ went more readily ad crucem, which is Latin for to the cross. Christ went more readily to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. And of course, he's referencing Hebrews 4.16, where he says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That quote rocks me. St. Jesus was more willing and ready to go be crucified and endure the most pain and humiliation than any man has ever endured, then we are to go ask for his help. Shouldn't be that way. Our hearts should pray always because he's our father and he has grace to help in time of need. He is not playing keep away with his power like the receivers with Peyton Manning. He's not doing that. He is shoving it on our face 
saying, take this, take the power I'm offering you by the Spirit. Don't fake it, take it. Oh, that's my new line. I just made that up. Don't fake it, take it. Hashtag that, Ryan. All right. We are done. We are done. Amen. Would you guys all stand with me? We're going to close in a song here. I have these in my Bible. These are back at the, at the, um, uh, don't need that. These prayer cards are back at the information booth, okay? And they, these all are ones that have been written on and turned in uh, in our tithe box or given to me. I have every single one that's been turned in. And this is how many there are. Five. You cannot tell me there is only five needs going on in your lives, in the entire church. I have prayed for these every day, and I will continue to, and we pray for these on Sunday mornings. We, I, my heart is here to pray. We need to pray. We need to intercede for each other. And I don't care if you fill out a card or tell me or email me or email your friend or your neighbor. I don't care. Just pray. You guys with me? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and God, we, we accept, God, the grace that is coming out of your spirit into our hearts. We believe in humility that you have such a love for us that you would provide all that we need through your son on the cross. And we fix our eyes on that. We, we reject everything. We, we reject it with all our heart, anything that gets our eyes off of you, Jesus. And we turn to you in total surrender. There is nothing in this life, and we, Lord, we hate everything in this life that is not you. In comparison to you and our love for you, God, it's, it's hate. And God, we just pray that you would produce in us the fruit of your love. And you would give us, God, a, a new heart that is praying all the time. A heart that just believes and just trusts that our Father will provide for us. A heart like the, the children here at our church that just walk around and, and they believe that their dad is watching them. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. And the last thing we need to say is that if you have never made a decision to follow Jesus and you have never accepted his death on the cross as your gift of life and your substitute for your sin, then right now is the time to just pray, Jesus, I need you. I ask you would forgive me, and I want to live my life for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship Jesus.